Welcome everyone to Future Imagined, a foresight podcast dedicated to futures thinking powered by MGS Insights. I'm Joe Lapore. I lead foresight for North America as part of our Mars Wrigley Global Foresight Team. This episode marks the last of our six shows in season two, and we're ending on a topic consumers love to daydream about, advertising agencies love getting briefs for, and innovators love creating for. That is immersive experiences. But if we're being completely honest, immersive experiences or the experience economy, as it was coined back in the late 80s, has already been in the spotlight for a while, over a decade. So what's different now and why are we dedicating a whole episode to it? We do want to feel joy and we do want to reassess the meaning behind what we buy. We do have higher expectations of brand value and of a product life cycle. These things are all still true, but the stark change in how this topic is creating divergent futures is in its new enablement through technology and more accurately, how we influence technology. In this upcoming decade, we can expect to see greater consumer acceptance and adoption of technology and how we interact within the journeys of our day-to-day lives. And while we do, we seek more and more those things that make us feel human and that understand our individual human needs. And this macro, cultural, societal, and technological shift of our definition of immersion is what we'll talk about today with a panel of brilliant innovators, and I can't wait. My name is Will Hall. I'm the Chief Creative Officer at Rain and a Professor of Design at NYU. Rain is one of the leaders in voice and assistive AI. The question of personalization is always an evergreen topic, but how do you do that at scale in a human and a personal way is very relevant to this topic. My name is Matt Clyde. I am a Director of Strategy at Sparks and Honey, which is a cultural consultancy. I'm also a writer for Forbes and my newsletter Zine, where I explore kind of the underbelly of trends and the overlooked societal shifts that are influencing everyone, whether that be TV producers, VC, the largest brands, government agencies, etc. I'm Adam Walker, Executive Director of Consumer Foresight and Market Exploration for the Walt Disney Company. I work specifically in parks, experiences, and products. So really is a fun space for us to look at what the future of experience really means to people. Super fun. And so, Adam, I'm going to jump straight over to you. And I can't start this episode specifically without asking the question that I think a lot of us have been thinking about. Disney has expanded so tremendously in the last few years to reach people across the spectrum of what entertainment is. But for many people, it's still synonymous with theme parks and resorts, which are considered destinations. Your experience inside of Disneyland is immersion end-to-end, and your goal is not to own anything other than a feeling or a memory. How is Disney rethinking what experiences means for people? I think the key point here for us is that we're constantly paying attention to what's happening outside. And what we're really seeing is that there's a proliferation in people's needs and need for choice. So that's something we're really paying attention to. There's not one right answer for everyone. And what does that mean? That we're looking at experiences that you might classify as old school, all the way up through everything that you might call the metaverse. But the point is, we know that there are many plausible futures out there. And we're really trying to pay attention and understand where things might go with the understanding that there isn't probably a one-size-fits solution for everyone. Um, What's really clear, though, I think, 
is this idea of, you know, the digital reality we sometimes talk about that people do have this need for, you know, things that are both physical and digital in nature, kind of that seamless switch between an offline and an online reality. And really where we're spending time trying to understand the consumer and their needs is where does that make sense? There are times when that makes sense. It's that seamless handoff between the online and the offline world that happens in both directions. But it's also understanding that there are some experiences that people are going to want to be more physical in nature, others to be more digital. It's that understanding that, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in that middle space uh, where the two come together seamlessly. I think there's a lot of opportunity when tech becomes invisible. That's really what this is about, is that it's just part of your everyday life. But it's interesting. There's been quite a bit of sensory deprivation during this period of time. We've seen people really out there trying to do their best with technology to maybe feel and kind of get that multi-sensory, you know, uh, experience, but it, it's not perfect. So that's something we really pay attention to, to try and understand what does perfect look like? What do, what do options look like? Um, but again, lots of things out there what we've seen a lot happening is that co-creation people have that need for experience they're out there doing it when maybe they can't do it then you know in a physical sense so again really interesting things happening in this space but the key point here i keep you know i'll bring it up maybe a third time is that there are many plausible futures out there we're looking at a range of things because people's needs really are on a spectrum and we influence some of these futures that are potentialities so it's really exciting when you talk about digital and how technology is starting to come into this. What are some of those things that you're experimenting in in the world of Disney around bringing together tech and tactile? What our team is doing is looking at what are people doing and how are they behaving in the world? That's where we're really starting to feed the machine that is our creative internally to understand those opportunities where, you know, a physical and a digital experience can come together. There may be a lot of people out there that really need that in-person reality. Jury's out a little bit as to whether we're really moving toward the metaverse. You know, is everything going to be this 3D online experience? Probably not. It's some combination of things. That's really what we're paying attention to. Where are those moments where things that combine together to make a better experience? That's what we really want to understand. Definitely. And I think, you know, at the heart of it is sort of, um, I'm going to use the phrase that's actually spoken by your team themselves is discover wonder and joy around every turn is this sort of creating experiences built around a consumer purpose and around elevating the physical reality by boosting it or augmenting it with the technology that helps to improve the user experience. Which leads me to a question that I have for you, Matt, around how we're starting to see this play out for individuals from a social and a communal level? So are people wanting to have these more you know, sensorially enhanced experiences because they want to find a way to connect with others? Or is it more about their own individual needs? You're hitting a really important differentiation that between the me and the us or the me and the we. And I think there's a critically important framework here that's kind of bubbling, which is the difference between me and us, active and passive, right? The difference between one experience that's participatory, one that requires requests or demands, and one that's also passive, one that happens to me where I'm served, prepared, offered, et cetera. And I think that other third variable is teasing apart immersion itself, right? Immersion is older than technology, right? It's as old as the campfires that we used to tell our very first stories. So when we think about immersion, there's, I think, sensory immersion, 
that being kind of physical immersion that manifests with technology and the medium itself is transporting us to a different space. Then there's emotional immersion, that being the psychological side of things that manifests with content and narrative. So if we had these three variables, that being sensory and emotional immersion, active and passive, and then me and us, and we kind of combine all these together, we get the different examples in which we're seeing today. So long way of, of answering the question, right? If you have something that's emotional plus passive plus us, that could be something like the shared movie theater experience that's highly emotional. If you have something that's sensory plus passive plus me, that could be a VR film or a game. Or if you have something that's sensory plus active plus us, that could be VR searching tools or something for soldiers in, in, in future wars, if you will. Long short, kind of getting back to the question, I think when it comes to the difference between the me and us, it's yes, both are having a future. When it comes to active and passive, the answer again is both. But the reason I want to tear apart all these variables is because I think when it comes to the sensory part and the emotional part, we're hooked right now, or a lot of the attention is around that sensory space. It's being conflated with the technology, with the screens, with the wires, with the haptics, et cetera. And I think the greatest investment is that emotional immersion. It's with the psychological, it's with the content, it's with the narrative itself. I think with all the examples of which we're seeing play out, uh, especially across the internet, it has to deal with the sensory. And I think it's not to say that we've gotten used to that. And it's not to say that it's still not novel. Of course it is. But I think if we look to the future and we put on the futurist hat, what does a piece of content look like that's ultimately tailored for me that is guaranteed 150% to make me cry? Or what does a song sound like just to me that's personalized, tailored based upon biofeedback data, et cetera, that is guaranteed to provide absolute ecstasy, that this is the greatest song that I've ever heard. And that's pure emotional immersion. So when we tear all these things apart, I think that they're all going to play a role, right? They're all important. But for me, it's the emotional immersion that's the most exciting and feels to be the biggest open sea of possibilities. It taps into this sort of broader need that consumers have now around wellness, right? Immersion, I think when we often talk about it, we think about enjoyment and joy and pleasure and almost like a selfish desire to make myself feel good or to feel connected to the world. But it's also now feels like it's shifting towards mindfulness and those immersive experiences that help you to chill out and just have a moment of almost regression away from the world around me and almost like an enablement of escape with technology to get away from technology. Matt, are you seeing that play out with sort of a crossover between some of those things that you were talking about? So the emotional coming together, for example, with the passive? I am. The two that come to mind immediately are those scare houses where it's like the most intensive, immersive haunted houses, if you will, where there's documentaries and petitions to shut these things down because it feels like you're actually being kidnapped. And another one is coming out of London. There's an exercise class called Flatline, dubbed the world's hardest workout of all time with these crazy warm temperatures and limited water to emulate a future in our climate crisis. When we think of immersion today, it's the AR, the VR, the metaverse of the video games and online purchases and the digital, if you will. But I think those two examples are really important because they're truly able to transport people both physically and emotionally into different experiences that are valuable and they're valuable for different reasons, but they're still valuable. And the way that they come to life is so important. You know, I'd love to hear, Will, from your perspective, this is sort of what you live and breathe is how do you turn tech into something that really naturally fits into how people behave? There's an interesting tension, right? For example, Tony Hawk skateboarder, when it was at its peak was when physical skateboarding was at its bottom the least popular been in years. 
You see this happening on YouTube as well. All these unboxing videos. What they found over and over again is that kids who watch other kids unpack the thing then have less of a desire to go play with it themselves. Digital is very good at trying to replace the physical, but I think it's the physical side that has to kind of catch up. In China, they talk about the super app. In China, they talk about thin layer of technology, ubiquitous computing, ambient computing. All those buzzwords simply mean that there isn't a difference between digital and physical. They are one and the same. Your online journey is your physical journey. Your physical journey is parroted back. And I think that's where I hope that a lot of these experiences evolve to. It's not an or, it's more of an and, a portmanteau of ideas. I was reading a report from Westfield the other day, of all things, around the future prediction that physical retail spaces will allocate more room to experiences over products by 2025. And that automatically takes your brain into, oh, it's going to be a pop-up experience or it's going to be some sort of virtual reality overlay. But really, will should we be thinking about this as the experience is going to enhance our interaction with brands and products? You know, I went to the uh, One World Trade Center. And when you go in the elevator, you're going up and you see a screen that's showing the history of the skyline of New York that's mapped what you would be looking at out that window. And you see the building as a timeline. And it's emotional because you see the progression of everyone. And you're like, wow, that's an amazing use of technology. And then it opens up and you see, and now here it is today. Beautiful, seamless, great. It used the liminal moment of an elevator as something that built a narrative and was integrated in the bigger experience. And so that was awesome. But then I turned to the right and what should have been the best view where you're looking up Manhattan from the best view in the city, they literally had screens covering the view. That's the or. The or is the problem. Voice in my world is predicated on system thinking. Innovation is predicated on system thinking. And it makes sense. Our work reflects our bureaucratic structures. Social isn't aware of what Market Insights is doing, isn't aware of what retail is doing, isn't aware of whatever else, whoever else is doing. And that idea of fractured thinking is unsustainable. That companies are thriving are those that have been able to operate with and, not or. In the spirit of what you're saying, particularly around bringing these things together and making sure that they're working in unison, Adam, is this what you're starting to see around what Will was sort of alluding to there around storytelling and something being really integrated into your brand promise and brand story as well as your brand experience? Is this the new brand differentiation? I think it could be. I mean, we talk about story living, that and that you're referring to. Leaning into that co-creation, allowing people to live our stories their way. That's something we're really paying attention to and looking for opportunities to allow people to do that. Is this the way for people to really connect with a brand? I think I'm going to put a maybe out there. There are many paths. And I think much of that is facilitated again by technology. You know, once upon a time, maybe you had a linear purchase funnel to think about. You know, someone sees a movie, then they go and buy the toy. Eventually they come and, you know, do something physical. But in the new world, there are all kinds of different directions that people can go. And that's something that we're really paying attention to is allowing them to have their own journey. That's really where the opportunity is, is for us to be able to consume that information, understand, and then be able to connect with people on a one-on-one basis and understand their journey and their experience. I think that's where you really get to kind of what you referred to, Matt, that emotional connection. You know, I see myself reflected in the story that you're allowing me to tell. It's a big lift. It's something really hard to get to and really kind of hone in on, but that really feels like where the future might be happening. Long story short, It's going to where the consumer is rather than asking them to come to where you are. Beautifully said, Adam. And I didn't miss how you dropped in there once upon a time. You know, I can't help it. (laughs) 
So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you mentioned there, which I think is a little bit of a friction point, particularly for us in the CPG space is sort of leaning into associations. And, you know, you were talking about there, the emotional connection that people have to the stories of Disney. And that's really tapping into the senses from a memory perspective and what that brings back to you sensorially. But alongside that, then creating those imaginative and exciting and wondrous new experiences that are usually tech-enabled or tech-augmented, how do you bridge that gap? That's a tough question you just asked. We actually do have a crystal ball in the office. We haven't seen it in a (laughs) while. But I think really the way that we're trying to get closer to that understanding is we're listening. The function that my team plays is that active scanning for weak signals to understand where things likely will be. We're paying attention to those plausible futures that are out there. It's creating those moments where there is that connection. I think there's something really important when it comes to allowing people to work on their own identity via our stories. How can your story or your brand help me figure out who I am? And we see that we've been there on the journey with a lot of people as they're growing up and deciding who it is they want to be. The way I also think about it, and correct me if you see it differently, of course, but yes, of course, there's a journey. Every company on planet Earth has a journey. But I have always wondered, what might it look like if companies owned the distribution as well, if they owned their e-com in a more personalized way? Because when you look at it the other way, Amazon has like an Amazon Go store. I don't know if you've been in that. That store is amazing. And the second you interact with it, you're like, why would I ever shop any other way ever? And they started at the end and now can work backwards. And so perhaps the new paradigm of CPG is to more vertically integrate because otherwise you're going to be a race to the bottom, a commodity wrapped in a logo. And the only way you can fight that is with systems, I believe. That's a really good observation about how we work. We very much control everything from you know the inception of the idea all the way through the delivery to the consumer. And then our very focused on having an excellent experience for our guests. We're very much in the weeds and in every detail of that experience. That's how we're able to create these memorable moments for people that, you know, they take with them oftentimes for a lifetime. We're um, sharing this podcast very broadly with the industry. And I think a lot of brands are not in that privileged position or they're just starting out. And I think they can take so much inspiration from looking at those brands. And that's why we're trying to bring the outside in with this podcast and learn from the best. One of the questions that I have on this topic is around how this translates into the physical product experience. Because I think immersion, we often think about something that's less tangible, more transient. And really what we're starting to see is this approach to how you can make something tap into an emotion or leverage your physical senses come through to a product, a a stick of gum, for example. So Matt, I'd love to hear, you know, what you're starting to see in this space around, you know, innovation and transformational things in how we can leverage immersion inside of an MPD. I think you kind of hit it originally, which is a stick of gum could only be a stick of gum. I think what has to happen is you layer, you augment, you add things to the experience of the stick of gum itself. I think there was a bit of a checklist when it comes to what can get layered on top of that. First, escapism. Does this experience or interaction with this product allow me to live outside my world? Novelty. Is this a new way of interacting with this product or experience in such a way that it is truly mind-blowing? Expertise. Is there added or weaved in knowledge or education or information that could change the way in which I experience or consume this product? Intimacy. 
not just intimacy with the product itself, but intimacy with those who are also purchasing this product? Am I engaging with this thing on a deeper level? Agency? Am I in control of this experience or does the product or does the brand control my experience with that interaction? Not to say one's better than the other, but does this experience provide the control over my own unique self, my own consumption habit or experience? And then lastly, community as well. Does this experience create opportunities for closeness inspired by common ground? Am I able to interact with those in store or those who share common interests or those who have the same values or ethics or morals than I do? And I think all these can be kind of dialed up or dialed down. It's not to say you have to go to 11 on all these things, but if we view each of these as individual criteria or dials that can be tweaked, right? Knowing that budgets are limited, knowing that scales are not always the largest in the world, we can begin to kind of experiment and realize that a stick of gum can be so much more than just a stick of gum. Yeah, and I think we've seen some really cool stuff, particularly in 2020 in this space where you do have this augmentation to your point, even on a pizza box and how I have my pizza night with my friends and how interactive that could be. I think some of the other exciting stuff in this space is around product co-creation or products made to order in a way that are very much tailored to my personal individual needs. You have the megaphone version of branding. We are X. And then there's the tension that says, well, the brand exists in a mind of consumer. And as we move towards brands being participatory and hyper, hyper personalized, even down to a functional product level, there's an opportunity in that it's personalized. And we all know the benefit of that. On the other hand, you have the challenge of dilution of brand. And I think that that's a really tough needle to thread in a sense. But I think that is the needle that we collectively have to thread of, you know, how do we maintain brand cohesion at the same time at scale and individually across the world? I believe that every company is a tech company in disguise, whether they realize it or not. And if that's true, I think there might be something with some, and I'm actually really excited about this, with industries that historically would not consider themselves a tech company. I sell cat food, whatever your brand is. What might an innovation model look like where we said, well, we're a tech company? Tech companies don't sell cat food. They build systems that sell cat food. How might we, through our interactions, create proprietary data that become a moat? How might we then start with digital and then go to a physical experience and the digital is the moat? You can't replicate that. That's why Target thrived during quarantine. That's why Amazon Go will take over retail in the next 10 years because they started in that way. How might a stick of gum create network effects? Those are questions I never hear non-tech companies ask, but you are a tech company. So what might that look like to those companies operating that way? I think it's an opportunity. I actually don't see it as a threat. I just think there are new questions and new muscles that companies need to build. I really love that train of thought, Will, and I'm going to build to that, which is I think that every company is a consumer company because they're in service of people, of human beings, which takes me to my next question for you, actually, around how we're making technology more human. So there are some really cool advancements in this space around, you know, reading people's emotions and reacting to them or cueing, for example, a feeling from the type of voice that you might be using. How are you seeing this space evolve? It's a big topic. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, there's two things that I, I'm sort of thinking about this. There's the one, which is there's something audacious happening. And it's so subtle Amazon was the most overt. They had a, a halo band and they can listen to your voice and tell you your biometrics and all this kind of stuff. And it's a band you wear. And in the ad, you can go to YouTube and see this. It's like, you speak and we'll tell you what you meant. You're like, wait, what? Do you realize how subtle that is? Like big tech is telling me what I feel. That's a heck of a statement right there. But we're hitting a point where algorithms are becoming the source of truth. And I think what's happened is technology removes the F word, friction, 
That's the thing, no-go, buy-do, right? This is what tech operates around. Operate and create efficiencies around no-go, buy-do. Look at Fang, you see no-go, buy-do, 20 ways a Sunday. That's what they do. And so removing that friction means we've handed over that data to enable that frictionlessness. And now they're, again, becoming the source of truth. You know, you're casually at a bar, you get into a debate, give it a goog because they're the, they're the source of truth there. And I think that there's a tension in that. And I think that's a big deal, whereas these things get more integrated. Where's the source of truth? Are we reflecting the mirror as the mirror reflecting us? That's a big question. In terms of actually interfacing things with voice as one example, and these new technologies where you're able to do facial recognition and voice recognition, that suggests to me that technology is vectoring to a place of being ambient. And I think that we're not quite yet equipped for that. I don't think it's tech evolving anymore. It's we are evolving. And I think figuring out the line between us and that, and how can I use those algorithms to enable me as instead of replace me? I don't think we've got that figured out. I actually think that there's an opportunity for brands to have meaningful friction inserted back into it. And maybe that's where storytelling happens. So how can brands, on the one hand, <laughs> create frictionless experiences, on the other hand, create meaningful speed bumps to build stickiness in an experience? One thing I would add, I think, is, you know, with all the data that's available, there's this temptation to look at that as the one source of truth. But I think this is really the moment to double down on understanding and listening to consumers as well. You know, the algorithm can tell us a lot, but it can't always tell us why. It can give us an answer, but I think we have to remember, you know, people make some very irrational decisions, particularly when it comes to a brand like Disney. I'm going because I love you. But this idea of really doubling down and getting in with a consumer and understanding the way they live. And to go back to Clayton Christensen, the jobs to be done aren't always tangible things. Sometimes they're emotional things. And we don't understand those things if we don't spend the time with a consumer to really understand what jobs they need done in their lives. Yeah, I mean, we start the conversation this way regarding all the potentials or the potentialities, if you will, of immersive tech. And I think what we're getting at right here is we're not necessarily like strapped into this roller coaster saying like this is the future. I think we're in control. The consumers are in control. And that's not just us in control of the ways in which we're interacting with big tech. We're in control of the brand's futures and how they respond to big tech or how they respond to consumers. And I think there's a lot of agency and control right here. We kind of get to control and direct what the preferred futures are. And we don't just have to say, well, this is what it's going to be, so be it. A huge thank you to our truly inspiring panel of guests today. I could easily listen to them for hours. I've been asked a few times in my life to quantify the immersive experiences trend. And guess what? It's nearly impossible to size because it has so many facets and it's changing so rapidly. The definition of immersive experiences is changing as new technologies come into play and as the motivations for people leaning into this changes. As we envisage new possible futures, it's so important, as the group today said, to listen to what people want, to your consumers, but equally to push ourselves to use our imagination, to remove friction through tech or to create friction that's meaningful, to use storytelling or story living through our brands to emotionally connect with our consumers. The world will continue to change and the only failure would be in not imagining new possibilities for your brand and for yourself. Until next time, this is Joe. Stay curious. Bye.